Good morning. It's uh, nice to be with you here again in Westwood Church. And uh, it's uh, lovely to be able to have this time of worship with you, sharing God's Word. Um, as JT said, I've been here three times before. Uh, I must confess, it's always very uncomfortable to preach here. And that's basically because I don't do any preaching in English now. Uh, all my preaching is in Spanish. So JT found it difficult to pronounce Uruguay, which is a very simple word. <laughs> but then I'll find it difficult to pronounce the whole of the sermon this morning. So I trust you'll bear with me. But it's uh, lovely to be here with you again. This time his son is with me, Jonathan. And uh, we love you folks. Uh, you do a great work here at Westwood, uh, supporting the Family of God Church as well. And uh, in South America, God is doing great things as I'm sure he's doing here as well, and he wants to use the Latin American church in wonderful ways. Um, our own uh, local church in Trujillo, where we're working, uh, next Sunday we're sending our first missionary couple up into the Andes Mountains to work as pastors in a remote area there. Uh, they're going uh, to help uh, uh, another single lady that we've sent a few years ago. She's working there as well. Uh, the daughter of the main pastor. She's working a mission in Lima. And our own elder daughter, Linzu, she's working missions in Pucallpa. So just one local church is sending out lots of missionaries. And uh, last June, I think it was, I was able to share in a major missions conference in Lima, uh, 15 churches gathered together for a week-long conference on missions. And the opening service, we had about 5,000 people uh, coming, wanting to know what God is doing and wanting to do in mission. So the Latin American church is really coming of age. Uh, I went out 35 years ago to Peru as a missionary, and now we are sending missionaries. Uh, we have a, a couple from Trujillo working in London as missionaries. And we have another couple working in uh, Kurdistan in Iran as missionaries as well. So God is doing wonderful things. And it's lovely that you as well can share in that, both through the family of God and supporting the wider network of Latin American churches here in the States and people going out on missions as well here from uh, the United States. So it's, it's lovely to be part of a worldwide fellowship of God's people. God is doing great things around the world, and we love the Lord tremendously. Now this morning... Uh, it's great to be with you as a visiting preacher. One of the great things about being a visiting preacher is that no one can feel that I'm getting at you because I don't know the church, I don't know what's going on really amongst yourselves. So anything I may say this morning that uh, is particularly relevant to you, don't take it to be for me because I don't know your situation, and I trust the Lord will be able to speak to us this morning. Let's uh, turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 96. And we'll read the psalm together as we have the setting for listening to God's word this morning. Psalm 96. It's a psalm that reminds us of God's greatness, his holiness, his wonder, and invites us to come and to worship the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory 
among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. See among the nations the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. May God bless that portion of his word this morning. I feel this morning I would like to speak to you on a subject that comes from this psalm, particularly verse uh, 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Or as the older version of the Bible said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This morning, I wonder if we can think a bit about this word, holiness. What does the word bring to mind in your own heart? What's your kind of gut feeling uh, when you hear the word holiness? Back in England, for many people, the word holiness speaks of stained glass windows, ancient churches, People of a bygone age, otherworldly perhaps, not very attractive. A recent writer says the following, I suspect many envision someone, when we hear the word holiness, someone old-fashioned, dreary, unpleasant, rigid, legalistic, and judgmental. A far different picture is presented in the Bible where a holy life is a life filled with grace, joyful, attractive, deeply satisfying. God's chief goal for his children. And then the writer adds, rather sadly, holiness is out of fashion. Holiness is out of fashion. That's very true, isn't it? Now, we may not like the word holiness. We may feel uncomfortable when we speak about holiness because obviously the uh, opposite word is sinfulness. 
And we are very much aware of our own sinfulness, aren't we? And God's holiness makes us feel uncomfortable. But holiness, my friends, is incredibly important. In fact, it is the most important word that humanity needs to face. Holiness. Because as we read in the book of Hebrews, without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. So this morning it's helpful for us to think about this word and the concept And that's why the the psalmist here speaks about worshipping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I think the first thing we need to emphasize this morning is that holiness is God's beauty. I wonder can we take on board that phrase. Holiness is God's beauty or God's splendor. If God is holy as he is, And holiness is something beautiful because the the psalmist speaks about worshipping God in the beauty of holiness. Then God himself is beautiful in his holiness. It is his beauty. I wonder what is our concept of beauty. If we were to have a Mr. Westwood Baptist Church. The ladies, who would you be voting for? Who's the most handsome man here in this building? How do you you gauge handsomeness in a man? And if we were to have a, a miss or a Mrs. Westwood Baptist Church, how would the men vote? What is our concept of beauty in a lady? I imagine, although the, the standard thing is to say, well, beauty is a heart, it's a mind, etc., but that's not how the world gauges beauty. And for many of us, beauty is something external. But the Bible leads us to understand that the external is the least of the qualities related to beauty. What does Solomon say at the end of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31 and verse 30? What does, what does Solomon say about beauty? He says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. What does that mean, that beauty is vain? Does it mean that being handsome is worthless? Or for the ladies to be beautiful is something that has no meaning at all? No, it isn't. There is value in handsomeness and in beauty. But the danger for us is that we can place such an emphasis on the external when the Bible says that in reality the external aspects of physical beauty is something vain. Why is it vain? Because as the psalmist says in Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6, our life is like a breath. It's like a shadow that fleets. 
and a man can be handsome at 25, he's not so handsome at 70 or 85. And the woman can be very beautiful at 25, and then is not quite so physically beautiful at 75 or 85. So we have a short span of being beautiful and handsome. And the Bible says it's a vain thing, the external things. So real beauty is not to do with something external, but rather something internal. Beauty has to do with God's character, isn't it? One of the important things about beauty is that it has to do with the internal and the heart of ourselves. So the Bible establishes beauty as God is the paradigm, God is the standard for beauty. Beauty isn't something cold or old-fashioned or ancient. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was being baptized? Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. Those amazing words that came from heaven, what were they? What did God the Father say? Do you remember? He is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. What does that mean? Why did the Father say that? Why did he say, he is a man in whom I am well pleased? Well, of course, because God the Father had been looking down on this world for 30 years, 2,000 years ago. The whole Jewish nation was filled with sin. Mankind was sinful from end to end. And one child was born. He was named Jesus of Nazareth. And he grew up as a boy. And then he became a teenager and a young man. And God the Father looked down from heaven on this boy, on this teenager, on this young man, and there was no sin in him. He worked as a carpenter. He earned his living, kept his mother, looked after his brothers. And for 30 years, the Lord Jesus committed no sin. And God the Father looks out on this world, in all its darkness, in all its lostness, and could see one man that had never sinned. And God the Father says, he is my son. He is a beautiful person. He is the one in whom I am well pleased. And God rightly says that because, can you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet sees a vision of God seated in the, thr- in the throne room, high and lifted up, and the angels are worshipping God. And what is the attribute that fascinates the angels? As they gaze upon the everlasting God, they know He is powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, patient, and all the various attributes. But the one thing that the angels marveled at was His holiness. Holy 
holy. Holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So, holiness is God's beauty. Is God's standard for beauty. And for us as human beings, we need to take that on board. That is why all these pageants and Miss Universe and Miss United States or Miss Peru, in a sense, are a waste of time. That is not what beauty is about at all. And we as God's people need to revalue this word holiness and holy because our Father considers this to be the most beautiful of all attributes. So that leads us to emphasize that holiness is something profound. It's not limited to physical beauty. It's something far deeper, far stronger. And holiness is something that all of us can attain to. I can explain myself perhaps. If we were to establish criteria for beauty, what would make a man handsome? Well, one thing that makes a man handsome is how tall he is. That disqualifies me, doesn't it? (laughs) I will never be handsome in this world. I just don't have that gift of height. But as far as God is concerned, that is relevant. All of us can achieve real beauty. Because all of us, as God's people, can become holy. We are holy already by Christ, but we need to be challenged into a life of holiness, a life of real beauty before God. First of all, beauty has to do with God's character, as I mentioned earlier on. In my first visit here to Westwood, I preached on Exodus chapter 33, and that great prayer of Moses, when he says to the Lord, show me your glory. It was a moment of crisis in Moses' life. God was asking Moses to do something he was not happy to do, to lead the people of Israel 40 years in the desert, a rebellious, disobedient people. And Moses said, God, I just can't do it. And there's a debate going on between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And at the end, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your real beauty. Show me what you're all about as God. And then God allows Moses to go up into the mountains and he covers his face as God moves by. And then Moses sees God's uh, back. And then there's this amazing revelation of God to Moses. The great, powerful God, slow to anger, great in mercy. Abundant in pardoning, and yet will punish those who do not repent of their sins. And God lays out there before Moses his character. That is his glory. 
That is his beauty. God's character. How do we react in God's presence? When we draw near to God, how do we feel? I imagine a lot of us, when we read the Bible and pray, we tend to do it in a very routine way, often not even really thinking about what we're doing. We just read the Bible. We just say our prayers. But have you had moments when you really come into God's presence? And you want to sense Him, and you want to feel Him near, and you want to know that you're speaking with Him, and that He's speaking with you. What is your concept of God at that moment? God's beauty is His character. I wonder if here in Westwood, I imagine, you know that great hymn based on Samuel Rutherford's writings, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. Do you know that hymn? by Anne Cousins, who took Samuel Rutherford's letters and put it into poetry. One of the stanzas is a long poem. We only, we only sing a few of the verses. But one of the stanzas is this. The king there in his beauty, the king in his beauty, without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey. Those seven deaths lay between. The Lamb with his fair army does on Mount Zion stand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Then it goes on to say, The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand, the Lamb. He is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. My friends, this morning we've gathered to worship God. God is incredibly beautiful. And the essence of God's beauty is His holiness and His character. And that is something we all have to attain unto. But secondly, holiness also has to do with God's nature. Not just His character, but with His nature. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, and verse 11, when they've just crossed the Red Sea, and Mary leads Israel in worship, and says, Who is like unto you among the gods? Who is like unto you? Glorious in holiness. So God's holiness stands him apart from everything else. Everything else in existence, even the angels, are in the category of created beings. God is the only one that is uncreated. That sets him apart from everything else. In Peru, we use the currency called el sol. In Spanish, it would be the sun. We call it el sol. And just like you use dollars, we use coins. 
And every now and then, uh, someone gives me change, and amongst those various coins, there is a bright, new, sparkling, one soul coin. I don't know how you react when you're given a, 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 a brand new dollar. Do you have coins? Do you have one dollar coins or not? You don't? <laughs> I'm out of touch. A 50 cent piece, perhaps. But my feeling is when I get a, a maybe six or seven coins, all of them are tarnished, rather dreary, well used, worn, battered. And amongst those coins, there is one shiny new coin. My instinct is to take that coin and set it apart. It's different from the rest. It'd be lovely to have a whole collection of new, shining, one-soul pieces, coins. That, that, that sense of putting it apart because it's different is this, this concept of God's holiness. The whole of creation stands apart from God as the uncreated one. That is his beauty. His totally uncreatedness. So God's holiness stands him apart from everything else. Do you remember what John writes, Apostle John, in John chapter 1 and verse, um, verse 5? Speaks about God is light, and in God there is no darkness whatsoever. That, 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 that idea of light, comparing God with light... For me, it's fascinating because light is something beautiful. Or rather, light brings out the beauty in the whole of creation. I remember once, many, many years ago, before I ever went to Peru as a missionary, I was in Spain with Operation Mobilization doing evangelism with a a group of uh, Spanish young men. And uh, we were staying at a campsite uh, on a mountainside, there was a valley and then mountains in the far distance. One morning, I got up early in the morning. I wanted to spend time reading the Bible and praying before everyone else was up. So, it was just beginning to get light when I started to read the Bible and praying. And I had some time with the Lord. And then I looked at the mountains in the distance and I suddenly realized the sun was about to come up behind the mountains. And so I stopped reading the Bible, and I began to look at the mountainside, and then a wonderful experience happened. The first light of the sun burst out from behind the mountains, and irradiated the whole valley with light. And I was just stunned by the beauty of the physical beauty of that valley, the mountains and the streams and the fields and the forests. And it was the light that brought out the beauty in all of that. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness whatsoever. Our lives are marred by sin. So many unpleasant things in our lives because of sin. Either our own sin or other people's sins affect us. And make life ugly sometimes. But God is beautiful in His holiness. God is light. In Him there is no darkness whatsoever. 
And this is a beauty that we are to aim at as we are God's people. So holiness has to do with God's character and God's nature. It's a profound thing. But now let's apply it more to ourselves. Can we face this challenge this morning that we as God's people are called to be holy? We're not just to admire God's holiness, although it's wonderful to do that, and we ought to do that more often, perhaps, than we do. But we need to realize that that holiness is our God-given duty. We are responsible to be holy before God. Why? Why is holiness important? In the first place, because it's one of the goals of salvation. God saves us to make us holy. We can never become holy apart from salvation. Only Christ can justify us and make us holy in the sight of a holy God. One of the churches that Paul had real challenge with was the church in Corinth. So much sin in that church. And at the beginning of the letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of these believers in Corinth, and Paul says, you are holy, you are a holy people, and you are called to be holy. And we as well, in the 21st century, are called to be holy. How are things going in the States? Over the last 20, 30 years, how is society going in the States? I've lived now 35 years in Peru. When I first went to Peru, Peru was a very poor country. It's not that poor now. People are a lot wealthier than they used to be when I first went to Peru. But the quality of society, the standard of living in terms of ethics and behavior, has absolutely plummeted in South America, in Peru. We use this phrase in Spanish that Paul doesn't translate into English. But it's a disaster. (laughs) Life in Peru now is a disaster. So much violence. So much corruption. Violence, the like of which you probably are not aware of here in the States. Where children can be shot just because they have a mobile phone. And the person wants to snatch the mobile phone from them and they're happy to shoot them. Every day in Trujillo where we live, people get shot, killed. Our neighborhood as well. It's become such a violent, evil, unpleasant country and as I say to people as we share in in Peru life is not going to get better life is not going to get better we're in the end times and the Bible speaks about the evil of the end times but we are God's people and we are called to live in this kind of society And as Peter reminds the early believers, God is holy, 
And we are called to be holy as well in this sinful generation. So we are called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He saves us from a world of sin and we come into the Christian life marred with many elements of sin, selfishness, pride, greed, envy, resentment. We go on. What God is wanting to do in us is to sanctify us, is to make us holy. He wants to make us Beautiful people. God's holiness is beautiful. And he wants to make us beautiful people in this very evil generation in which we live. So we have a duty to be holy because the goal of salvation is our holiness. But my friends, our holiness is one of the great ways of honoring God in this world. I hope that as God's people, we have a great desire to honor God. And one of the ways to honor God is by our own holiness of living. If we turn with me to the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2, let's listen to what Paul says to this lovely church in Philippi as he challenges them to work out their salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. What do we read here in Scripture? Challenging words. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Powerful verse, isn't it? What does Paul say about the world in which he lives, in which we live? Paul says it is a crooked and twisted generation. That's Peru today. It might be the States as well. A twisted and perverted, crooked generation. And why is God saving us? It's so that we can shine as lights in this dark world. One of the great things about living today as God's people is that as the world becomes a darker place, the church can shine brighter and brighter. You see, a hundred years ago, when society was fairly Christian, real believers didn't seem to shine that much. But as society becomes anti-Christian and becomes progressively evil and dark and twisted, what God wants to do is to do in us what Jesus did. To shine as a light. So that God the Father can look down upon us from heaven and say, there is Westwood Baptist Church, a people in whom I am delighted. Because we are, li- we are learning to live holy lives in the midst of a perverted generation. But the rub is verse 14. The challenge is verse 14. 
where Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Now, Paul is not the kind of guy that would say things without really thinking or meaning what he's writing about. Paul knows his church very well. He loves the church in Philippi. It's a wonderful church. But they have a few problems. One of the problems is a lack of unity. There was a lot of grumbling going on in the church. There was a lot of questioning going on in the church. And what Paul is saying is, as God's people, we must not live like that. The world is like that. The world grumbles. The world questions. The world has resentment. The world fights amongst themselves. And we as God's people are not to be like that. We must honor the Lord by the beauty of our lives. So dare I challenge you as Westwood? How are we doing in this area? Are we the kind of people that never grumble? Never complain? Or does grumbling and complaining come very easily to us? That does not honor God. God is not a grumbling, complaining God. Can you imagine if God was like that? Dealing with us as God's people? So sinful, so sailing all the time. Can you imagine God grumbling to the angels? There's Alex again. He's, he's gone and sinned again. And I'm glad God isn't like that. I'm, I'm glad God doesn't grumble and complain at my failings. And we are his people, his children. We are not to grumble and complain at the failings of others. That's what the world does. And if we are to honor God in this world, then we must have the same beauty that God has. That's a challenge, isn't it? It doesn't come easy for us. So many things in our lives need to be molded and shaped and sanctified. And that is what God is doing. All that God allows in our lives is to promote holiness. Can I repeat that? All that God allows in our lives is to promote holiness. To make us more like God is. That we may honor God in this world. And that, I think, is a great challenge the church of the end times is facing. As we are called to live at the end of the ages, before the second coming, and as the world becomes a darker and more evil place, God wants the beauty of holiness to be seen in his people. That's how we can honor God in this world. But it's not just a case of honoring God, it's also a case of revealing God. Because God will be made known and revealed in this world insofar as we are a holy people. Many, many years ago, I had the privilege of being baptized 
by my own father in a Baptist church in England. Wonderful thing to want to baptize your son. I baptized Jonathan uh, years later. And dad gave me a verse that has always struck with me, stayed with me. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, that they might see your good works. And glorify who? Glorify you? What a great Christian you are? For the great missionary? <laughs> no, let your light so shine before men, that they might see your good works and glorify God. We are revealing God through our holiness in this world and our good works. And that, my friend, is what God wants to do in us. We can finish perhaps with that one of my favorite verses in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where Paul says, We all with unveiled faces, beholding in this glass of Scripture, the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are transformed from one glory to another glory by the work of the Holy Spirit. And there, my friends, I think is the essence of the Christian life. God is taking men and women marred by sin. By nature, we have the image of Satan in us, not the image of God. And in Christ, God has justified us. He has saved us. But now begins the whole long process of being conformed to the image of His Son. And what we have to do as God's people is spend time every day reading, studying God's Word. Not just to learn interesting facts and interesting stories. Not just to get a a, a nice word of promise to encourage me to face life today. All those things are good. But the main purpose of studying scripture is to see the glory of God. And it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a sanctifying exercise. That as we see the glory of God in the face of Christ, in scripture, the Holy Spirit will transform us a little bit at a time until the beauty of holiness is seen in us. That's what I long for in my own life. And as the years go by, I realize there is still so much work to be done. And we need to spend more time in the Lord's presence. And we need to allow Scripture to reveal to us those difficult aspects of our character that God wants to change. And then the Holy Spirit needs to generate within us a desire for holiness. And then the Holy Spirit gets to work. And He will allow all kinds of circumstances in our lives that we might gradually, from one degree of glory to another, be transformed into the image of the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the essence of the beauty of holiness. So I leave with you this verse from Psalm 96, verse 9. Worship the Lord 
in the beauty of holiness. It's a wonderful concept. It's God's own nature. And it's what he wants to instill into us as well. And may the Lord give us the grace to be willing to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That that holiness might be revealed in us. Not that people might pat us on the back and say what great great Christians we are. But that we might honor and reveal God in a world that no longer believes in him. And sadly, the world often does not believe in God because of what the world sees in the church. And so we have a real challenge on our hands to allow the Holy Spirit to work the beauty of holiness in our characters. That, the, that God might be honored and he might be known in this world in which we live. Let's pray to finish. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the opportunity of being quiet in your presence. Having sung these wonderful hymns and songs that highlight your holiness. The challenge, Father, is that we are to be holy as you are holy because we are your children. Father, there is so much yet to be done in us. Father, we are not yet what we ought to be. We thank you that we are no longer what we once were. But we ask you, Father, to continue that work in us. Give us a greater understanding of what your holiness is about. In particular, Father, help us to see the beauty of your holiness. And then, Father, give us a hunger that we might have that beauty as well in our own lives. That we might honor you as your children. And we might reveal you in this evil and twisted generation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.